Listen up, guys. Our biggest problem right now, we are missing poses. You mean passes? No, poses. The secret to winning is to pause. Now you're talking. Gorgeous work, Antonio. I'm taking a step back. Sometimes you gotta stop to be an actual human. Take a minute to celebrate, huh? More than 20. You'll get it tomorrow. Good uh, evening, Kairos. I could not think. Good afternoon. Good evening, Kairos. My name is Danny. I'm so glad to be with you tonight. Uh, I'm so glad if you're in the room. I'm so glad if you are joining us in Iowa City. Hello to our friends in Iowa City. If you wouldn't mind, everybody in this room, just on the count of three, saying, what's up, Iowa City? One, two, three. Awesome. We're so glad to be able to join with you. Hey, uh, we're, we're uh, hopping into a brand new series tonight. It is called Pause. We're going to try to overcome hurry. Jesus does make that possible for us. In that opening clip, you saw a commercial that was put out by Powerade recently and showing us some surprising people who are putting a pause on their lives. And I think that it's important that we put a pause in our lives. We are oftentimes running so fast. We're going so quickly. We're balancing so many different things. And I wonder if we just need to slow down. I had an experience with this just this weekend. Anybody see these signs on the road where they say your speed and they tell you how fast you're going? Well, I had an experience with this. Uh, you know, if you, if you go a little bit too fast, what does it say? It says slow down. It's, it's saying, slow down. Now, I've, I've been told that's what it says, right? Yeah, I wouldn't know myself, huh? Okay, anyway. So Saturday night was the night before Easter. It was the night before Easter. Um, and uh, I had to wake up the next morning and preach. But late Saturday night, I realized I didn't have any pants to wear the next morning. And that would be incredibly awkward, right? Nobody wants it. Never mind. Anyway, but anyway, so that would have been terrible. And so I'm like, oh my goodness, Abby, I don't, I don't have pants. So I need to... <laughs> What an awkward thing to say to your wife. Anyway, so I had to sprint to the store as fast as I could. And I'm thinking to myself, oh my goodness, there's so many different things I'm trying to balance right now. Like I'm trying to find, you know, the pants. I'm trying to get everything ready. I'm trying to be, be able to go to sleep. I'm trying to wake up for this sermon. I'm trying to balance all these different things. And I'm finding that I'm hurrying. And on 13th Street here in Ames, there is one of these signs. And I found out on Saturday night, that not only does it tell you to slow down, if you are going fast enough, it flashes a light at you as if you are going to kill somebody. And it doesn't say slow down. It actually says too fast, too fast. And I mean, immediately, I slam on the brakes because you think it's like an officer's light coming at you. And in that moment, it actually hit me. I really had this deep thought in my mind. I wonder if this is more about the speed of my car, if this is less about the speed of my car and actually about the speed of my life right now. 
I'm flying through this. This is supposed to be Easter. This is supposed to be holy. Sometimes people ask, what's it like writing a sermon? I mean, is it just like this enlightening experience and full of peace and you encounter God? Ask anybody who writes a sermon. It's usually more like this. Ah! You're scared. You're panicking. You're hurrying. You're wondering. And then somehow God lays something on you. I'll let you be the judge of that tonight. You can, you can decide. But as I'm driving home and I'm seeing this sign flashing me too fast, too fast, I'm like, oh my goodness, my life. I mean, it's too fast. I'm, not, I'm driving too fast because I'm hurrying through this night. I'm hurrying through this weekend. I'm just going too fast. And we have these moments when we realize there has to be a change. We need a pause. I think when it comes to the hurriedness of our life, we need a change. 67% of college students say that their busyness keeps them from enjoying life. Can anybody in this room relate to that? Just by a show of hands, does anyone in here in the last three months, has anybody in here since the beginning of the semester felt overwhelmed with busyness? Anybody? Yeah. And if you're not raising your hand, good for you. You don't have to come the next three weeks, I guess. 67% of college students say that busyness keeps them from enjoying their life. That's not a good way to live. And the problem is, is it doesn't end when you graduate college. Also in The Atlantic, which is the, the, the magazine that, that showed that statistic, or that, uh, found that statistic, they also reported that every single generation reports that they are busier than they were 10 years ago. It doesn't stop just because you graduate. And so tonight, I just want to talk about this. There has to be a better way. There has to be a better way. That's what we're calling this talk tonight. And over the next three weeks, we are going to pause. We're going to go slow. We're going to stop. The Bible actually tells us to stop. There's this word in the Bible, and it's Sabbath. Everybody say Sabbath. Sabbath is a command from God. It's one of the commandments. God says, at least once a week, you must stop. Sabbath literally means to stop. What you might not also realize is that in the Bible, it says that God rested. God had Sabbath. And what it literally means is God stopped. God stopped. God rested. And if the creator of the universe would stop and would rest and would pause, don't you think that we should do the same thing? There has to be a better way than 67% of us feeling like we're not enjoying our life because we're just hurrying and we're busy. We're trying to balance too many things. You were not meant to juggle forever. You ever seen those marathoners that juggle for the entire 26.2 miles? Even they have to stop juggling at a certain point. I'm telling you, there's a guy who runs around Ada Hayden at least once a week. He just goes and figure eights and he's juggling the entire time. And I'm always tempted when I walk by him to just go, you know, I, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't. But even he has to stop juggling at a certain point. We all do. God stopped juggling. God stopped. So why don't we? There is a better way. You heard about it in the Bible reading tonight. It's in Matthew chapter 11. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Now, privately, that sounds really nice. But publicly, none of us like to really admit that we're resting. This is something that Harvard Medical School found. They found that college students are more afraid of being bored than they are of being busy. We're more afraid of being bored, of having nothing to do than being busy. We're so afraid of slowing down. And why is that? 
There was a follow-up question to this. And one of the reasons that was listed among many for why college students are afraid of being bored more than they are being busy is what other people think of them when they look bored. Who in the world here wants to answer the question, how have you been? And you're like, rested. It's like shame these days to say rested, which is so interesting because back in the day, if you had leisure, if you had time, it was a sign of wealth. But now a sign of leisure, now a sign of wealth is if you're busy. A sign of power is to say, I'm always doing something. Imagine if you're on your job this summer or if you've got an internship and your boss comes up to you and says, what are you up to? And you're like, not a thing. I have no idea why you hired me. We can't say it. We're more afraid of being bored, having nothing to do than being busy because being busy makes us feel like we're valuable, like we could do something. But it causes this restlessness inside of us. And if we're not careful, we won't even notice it taking over our entire lives. Do you ever do things that are so restless, but you don't know that they're restless? Maybe you're a nail biter. Maybe you pull on your hair. Maybe you tap your foot. Maybe you've got a fidget. I don't know what it is. When I was in seminary, we had a preaching class, which is super unhealthy in and of itself, being graded by your peers because of your preaching. It's terrifying. But nonetheless, I had a roommate who was in there. His name is Matt. And he had a nervous twitch, but he didn't realize that he had it. And he was preaching on one of the Psalms. And as he's reading it, I don't remember specifically what it was, but something like, like uh, you know, I, if it was Psalm 23, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. His, his nervous twitch was a leg kick. And so he's standing there and he's reading, he's, I will fear no evil. I mean, and he was, he's my roommate. He's a good friend. He's a gymnast, right? He was an all-American gymnast in college. His knee could come up to his face, right? Like he could really kick. And afterward, none of us had the heart to tell him, but our professor said, Matt, just so you know, you were kicking your leg for most of the sermon. And he looked at him and he said, huh, no way. (laughs) Sometimes these restless things that we do, we don't even realize that we're doing them because it's just autopilot for us. For the record, Matt and I continue to be good friends today. I always ask him if I can share that story, and he did say that I could. We don't want to slow down, but sometimes it's like we can't slow down. If you had the option today just to stop, to slow down, to do nothing, would you actually do it? There is this tension with slowing down, with doing nothing, with pausing, with doing what Jesus is calling us to do with him, to pause and to rest. We don't like being slow. None of us do. Think about the things that we describe the word slow with, right? If like a movie was bad, we say, ah, it was kind of slow. If service at a restaurant was bad, ah, it was slow. If I ever say something that doesn't sound very smart, you might say to me, oh, well, you're kind of slow. Oh, cool. Merriam-Webster actually defines slow as this. Mentally dull, stupid, sluggish, lacking in readiness, lacking in life, and boring. All of those things are actually before the speed at which something moves. When we say slow, we mean bad. In the world that we are living in, fast means good and slow means bad. That's such a problem for us especially if you want to follow Jesus. Jesus was so content with going slow. Jesus pushes against the norm of our society today. He pushed against the norm of his society then. This is something he absolutely pushes against the norm that we have in society. He was slow and he was content with it. All over the Bible, this is just one example. Mark chapter one, verse 16, Jesus walked. And I'm not talking about Kanye's song, although, and whatever. Before your time, maybe. I don't know. 
Jesus walked. It says he's walking everywhere. When we, th- when we look at like the different land that Jesus lived on, traveled to throughout his life, what we see is basically he, he, he went the distance based from about like Des Moines to Mason City. And everywhere that he went, he walked. It says everywhere. He walked. It even says that he walked on water. You try walking on water. You got to move pretty quick to stay afloat, right? But Jesus even walked on water. And I think about my life. If there's a life verse for me, it's not Danny walked. If Danny 116 said anything, it would say, Danny ran frantically. (laughs) I want you to know this. When we're going through this series, I am someone who deeply struggles with this. I'm not trying to preach at you on this. I'm not trying to shame anybody for being too busy, for hurrying their way through life. I know what this is like. It is so painful. And so I'm asking you to join me in this journey, to overcome hurry, to pause. This is how we live our lives of faith. It says this in, first, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we walk by faith, not by sight. I am pulling that out of context, but check out, the other, check out the other verses throughout the Bible when it describes our faith, when it describes going with God. It's, it's walking. We walk by faith. We don't run by faith. We don't sprint by faith. We don't get exhausted by faith. We walk by faith. We walk by faith. So are you walking? Or are you hurrying? It's become such an issue in our culture these days, this hurrying We're all hurrying. It's become such an issue that there's an actual medical term for it these days, and it's called hurry sickness. Hurry sickness was coined by two cardiologists who identified a connection between people who overhurry and people who have heart conditions. Hurry sickness. Hurry sickness is a behavior pattern characterized by continual rushing and anxiety. Does anybody feel like they've got hurry sickness? There's a quiz for it. Do you want to take it? It's my next slide, so you have to. (laughs) Go ahead and answer true or false to these next six questions. Are you ready? Just keep track of it in your head, but see what you got. Hurry sickness. Number one, you treat everything like it's a race. What do I mean by that? I mean when you're in the grocery store uh, line, you go to the shortest aisle in order to check out. I mean, you could save 30 seconds if you go to aisle nine instead of aisle 11, and you might even be so fast you can go to the self-checkout line, right? Or it's when you're constantly changing lanes because you think that one lane's going to go faster than the other. True or false, you treat everything like it's a race. Number two, you cannot focus on one task at a time. You came here to hear the word of God tonight, but you've been texting the whole time. I see everything. Sorry, I'm kidding. I haven't seen any of you do that. True or false, you can't focus on one task at a time. True or false, you get highly irritable when experiencing delays. Anybody? True or false, you feel perpetually behind schedule. You just can't keep up. Number five, you interrupt or talk over people. That's something nobody really wants to admit, but we, allow, we, um, we do it often. Number six, you're obsessed with checking things off your list. How many of those did you answer true, true to? I took this test and I answered it as honestly as I possibly could. And like I said, I struggle with pausing. And so when I answered these questions, I found that I answered true to four out of six of these questions. And I believed that I answered that as honestly as possible until I took this test to my wife and I asked her to evaluate me. And she answered six out of six true for me. And I kid you not, when we took this quiz, and I really evaluated her as, as, as honestly as I could, 
zero out of six for her. She is the least hurried person I've ever met in my life. Sometimes it causes issues for us. You want the real Danny and Abby? You're about to get it. Like, I hurry my way through things. And one of the best things, one of the greatest blessings that she has for me and her presence in my life is that she forces me to slow down. And we have to slow down. It's so important. Now, look, here's the thing. None of us have an excuse for why we wouldn't slow down. I get it. Everybody's got that major that is so hard. Everybody's got that job that they're chasing down where there's so much to do. I know it's so hard to get to church. It's so hard to be in a small group. It's so hard to spend time in prayer. It's so hard to read your Bible. It's so hard to pause. It's so hard to stop. It's so hard to do nothing. Because don't you know that I have a test next week? Don't you know that I have a club that I have to get to? Don't you know that I have to have practice? Don't you know I have all these different things? And I hear it and they're good excuses, but at the end of the day, they're excuses. Do you know something that's really, really interesting? We live in a world where we have more conveniences that should make our lives faster and quicker and easier to get things done than ever. We should have more free time than ever. In 1967, experts predicted that by 1985, the average full-time working U.S. adult would only work 22 hours a week because of all of our conveniences. Think about all of our conveniences. We're not washing our clothes by hand. Think of all of our conveniences. We're not going out and hunting, hunting, risking our lives for food, gathering the fruits and veggies, bringing them back over fire, pouring them into boiling water. We have fast food, right? Like we, don't, we don't have those things. And yet 67% of young adults are saying, I'm too busy to enjoy my life. What's happened to us? We have more conveniences than ever, but we're feeling more stressed out and more busy and more hurried and we're enjoying life less than ever. What has happened to us? I wonder if we're serving the wrong God. When Jesus said, here is how you love God. Do you remember this from our series that opened up this semester? He said, here's how you love God. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and you love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, let me be your God and see how I command you to live your life. I command you to live a life of love. Now, conveniently for us, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, there's a guy named Paul and he very, very clearly defines what true love is. Anybody ever heard this passage? It starts like this, love is. And does anybody know what the first word is to describe what love is? Love is patient. Patient. Really? Like, love is patient? Like, love isn't active. Love isn't passionate. Love isn't a go-getter. Love doesn't get things done. Love is patient. And I suppose that if love is patient, then love and hurry are utterly incompatible. You cannot love people when you're hurrying. We just can't do it. You cannot love people when you're multitasking. We just can't do it. Jesus was this incredible example of this. When you look at the stories of Jesus in the Bible, he's always being interrupted. I could really use a wine right now. He doesn't say, oh yeah, you know, please just let me relax for a couple hours first. You know, I got to unwind from my day. He's just ready. He's not in a hurry to get things done for himself. He just focuses on the person in front of him. 
He focuses on what he needs to focus on. Are you distracted? I mean, really, I think that one of the greatest, one of the greatest temptations that the enemy has for us is simply distraction. Here's what Dallas Willard said about it. He said, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. This is not just some sort of like self-help type thing. This is deep spirituality. Pausing is deep spirituality. Dallas Willard was a philosopher from the University of Southern California. He was also a, a pioneer in the Christian faith when it comes to spiritual practices for modern people to be able to pause he wrote all about this and he continues to, we must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives. Do you ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life or are you ruthlessly eliminating the boredom from your life? Now, it's not just Dallas Willard's opinion. It says this in the Bible in Ephesians chapter five. It says, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of your time in these evil days. Now for make the most of your time, what it literally says in the Greek is redeem your time. The evil ways are distracted. The evil ways are busy. The evil ways are hurrying. Look, when, when the enemy approaches Adam and Eve in the garden and says, go ahead, eat this fruit. The enemy never says, God's not real. The enemy just says, don't look at God. Don't listen to God. Be distracted by anything else. How distracted are you these days? I mean, seriously, if the enemy can't make you sin, the enemy will just distract you give you so much to do. I mean, how many of us cancel our plans last minute because we just got something else going on? How many of us can't ever follow through with something we said we were going to do? How many of us, when we got to lunch, how many of us, when we've got an assignment, how many of us, when we say we're going to be somewhere, we, we don't do it because we've got too much going on. I don't think that the issue is that young people can't commit to things. I think the issue is that we're overcommitted. The issue is not that there's too much to do. The issue is that there's just so many different things we can always be doing. You are a human being. You can only do so much. Stop hurrying. Stop being so busy. Stop juggling. Make the most of your time. Jesus wants you to make the most of your time. Remember this? We, we just looked at the beginning of the, of the talk tonight. You heard this in the Bible reading. Let's revisit it. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. God is the God of rest. God is the God who can provide the miracle for you. And truly, for some of us, it would be a miracle if we could just simply enjoy our life because we weren't so busy anymore. Jesus is the God of resting. So how do you do that? How do you ruthlessly eliminate hurry in your life? I want to close this with just three practical steps. The first thing that you can do is simply be with Jesus. Let's turn to the person next to you and say, be with Jesus. You can be with a lot of things. You can be with a lot of people. You can be in a lot of stuff. Above all else, be with Jesus. Jesus says, I, I want to be with you. He said, take my yoke upon you. My yoke, that's kind of a weird thing to say. Um, maybe we don't really have a clear picture of what yoke is. Um, when you think yoke, I don't want you to think what you typically think of, like me in a gym. Instead, I want you to think of this. Whatever, guys. <laughs> so this is a yoke. These two oxen are wearing a yoke. 
And a yoke is something that would bring two beasts together, these two oxen, these two beasts that could harvest a field and, and plant. And it would allow them to work together. And in working together, they could accomplish so much more than they could do on their own. Now, I want to say one thing really clearly here, especially in those days, and I couldn't find a picture to totally illustrate it, but especially in those days, the practice of a yoke was because of this. Oftentimes, farmers could not afford two completely mature, disciplined, and strong oxen. Instead, they could have one mature, disciplined, and strong oxen, and then they'd have a baby ox. And they'd be able to yoke the two together. And so then this baby ox, when it would want to run and sprint and just hurry and get exhausted, it wouldn't be able to. Because you got the big ox just, I'm too smart for that. Yoke with Jesus. Jesus is strong. He is wise. He is disciplined. And there will be times where you try to run so fast ahead of him. And he says, follow me. Be yoked with me. And here's, there will be convictions in it, right? So being with Jesus, there are two things that go into that. The first is you recognize your limitations. You recognize, out of these two oxen, I am the young one. <laughs> I am the undisciplined one. I am the one who is often weak. Every single person has limitations. The first limitation you have is your body. Every single one of us has physical limitations. You cannot do everything in the world with your body. You cannot be in two places at once. You just cannot do it. Another limitation that all of us have are minds. You don't know everything, and that's okay. You don't have to know everything. And then the third thing that you do have a limitation with is your gifting. You don't have the same gifts as somebody else. But sometimes all we do is we compare and we just look at somebody else. And the reason why we can't rest, the reason why we can't stop, the reason why we have to keep on hurrying is because we see what somebody else is doing with their time. And we think, if only I could be that busy. If only I could hurry that much. The truth is, there's always going to be someone with a little bit more than you. Like, I wanted to preach that tonight and then have like some sort of twist on it and be like, ah, but that's okay because... But, no, it's just okay because it's okay. Since when did enjoying something have to mean that I'm better at it than anybody else? When did it stop being, this is the best work that I can do and I'm proud of it? When we get yoked with Jesus, which just sounds so funny because I bet Jesus was wildly yoked, but nonetheless, <laughs> we do recognize our limitations, but in recognizing our limitations, we see his strength. There's a beautiful scripture passage that says, my strength is enough. My grace is enough for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. And where we are weak, he is perfectly strong. See his strength. Be with Jesus. You can choose any God in this world. You can choose anything to tell you how you're going to live your life. You can choose to spend your time however you want. But nobody, nobody will yoke himself to you quite like Jesus. The one who will forgive you when you fail him, but also satisfy you every single time that you go to him. He will not let you exhaust yourself. He walks at the healthy pace for you. And let me say this, on the days where you can't take a step, when you cannot move, understand this. Jesus is absolutely unique and relatable and adaptable to every single person that he interacts with. To some people, he's very, very gentle. To other people, he's kind of harsh. To some people, he tells them, go, tell them all about me. To other people, he says, you can keep this a secret for now. For some people, he gives them a pep talk for their faith. For others, he just lets them cry with him. 
wherever you're at today, Jesus is not going to hurry you because he's a God who walks. He's a God who moves slowly and is content with that. Are you content with being with Jesus? The second thing that we get to do when we ruthlessly eliminate hurry is we get to become like Jesus. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. Then he also says, let me teach you. Who's teaching you in this world? Who are you listening to in the most? Who are you listening to the most? Who gets to tell you who you are? Why are you doing the things that you're doing? Jesus wants to teach you to be like him. Jesus wants you to live like him. Jesus wants you to love like him. But he says, let me teach you first. I have a question for you. When, when even you like, let me just show you. It's not just the stuff that you do outside of church that you hurry with. You can live a very hurried and busy life inside the church and with this. Because how many of us, we read our Bible and we're like, okay, so I'm here at Ezekiel chapter four, verse one. And now, son of man, take a large clay brick and set it down in front of you. Then draw a map of the city of Jerusalem on it. Oh, I don't know what Jerusalem looks like and I don't have a brick. Slow down. That's a really extreme and funny example, but the point of it is this. Slow down. If you don't understand your Bible yet, if you don't enjoy time with prayer yet, slow down. Take a moment. Sometimes I think that Satan will distract us with our religion. Sometimes the enemy will distract us by saying, you're not religious enough. Right before the passage that we read today, Jesus calls out the religious people. He says, the religious people, they think they've got it all and they lord it over everyone else, but they're not entering the kingdom of God. The ones who enter the kingdom of God are the humble. It's the children. It's the ones who know that they don't have their lives figured out, but they still expect their parent to love them. Do you notice that about children? Children act so shamelessly. They could kick you in the shins in one moment and look up to you in the next one and say, pick me up, you have to love me. <laughs> and maybe you're 18 to 22 years old and you still do that. And at a certain point, it's not cute. So, you know. <laughs> Jesus says, let me teach you my ways. Slow down. Stop listening to all the other ways. Listen to me. Listen to me. So you can be with Jesus, you can become like Jesus by listening to his teaching. Then finally, now you get to behave like Jesus. You get to behave like Jesus. How many of us are trying to get into the family of God, are trying to get acceptance anywhere in our life because first we behave, then we become, and then we're with? This, this isn't just relentlessly eliminating hurry. This is also step-by-step step what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. It is not behave like Jesus, then become like Jesus, and then be with Jesus. It is transformation from the inside out. A life of rest and pause is a life that reflects the life of Jesus. And it doesn't start with behaving like Jesus. It starts just simply with being with Jesus. How many of us are trying to get into the kingdom of God, trying to get into the family of God, or maybe just trying to get into that social group? trying to get into that club, trying to get into that job, trying to get into that internship, trying to get into that program. And you're starting with behaving. And I understand, I understand. This is what makes God and Jesus, this is what makes the son of God so unique. God is the only God that says, you start just by being with me. You get full access before you do anything. You don't need a ticket. You don't need a pass. I am your ticket. I am your pass. Come with me. We need to reverse this process in our lives. 
And it starts with step one, pause. Stop trying to behave like Jesus before you're with Jesus. Some of you, I, I talk about it all the time. I love to run. And I've become a decent runner, right? I used to hate running. It was the summer after my senior year of college and I was working at a camp and I lived with guys who loved to run and I thought, I was like, wow, they, they look like gazelles out there, right? You know, I was like, want to be like that. And I tried running with them and it was terrible. I hated it. I couldn't run at their pace. I couldn't do what they did. Instead, I just had to be around them and understand how they operated, how they slept, how they ate. And by the end of their summer, left them in my dust. You know what I mean? Just kidding. First, you got to be with him. Then you can become like him. He wants you to. He teaches you. You get to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And then you get to behave like Jesus. Now, how does Jesus behave? He says, I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. Half of Jesus's miracles happened within the context of an interruption. Did you know that? You want to behave like Jesus? Turn your phone off. Maybe you can say, I'm not addicted to my phone. Okay, turn it off for 24 hours. Could you do it? I couldn't yet, but by the end of the series, together, we're all going to throw our phones into the dumpster and burn them. <laughs> no. He's never in a hurry. He's certainly not in a hurry for you. I want to finish with this tonight. There's only one place in the entire Bible where Jesus commands someone to physically hurry. One place. And it was on the night that he was betrayed. I want you to know this. You've never gotten too busy for God to stop you in your tracks. You've never gotten too busy to drop everything. You could drop everything on somebody else and they'd be very, very disappointed in you, wouldn't they? But I committed to all these things for this club and this class and I just let them go. Those people might look down on you after that. But Jesus doesn't. The only time in the Bible where Jesus commands someone to physically hurry is when he says to Judas at the Last Supper, and he knows that Judas is going to go betray him. Judas is the reason Jesus is going to get arrested and put to death for practical purposes. And to Judas, Jesus says, hurry and do what you're going to do. And sometimes we like beat up on Judas like crazy. We pull passages out of context. And we're like, well, Judas was damned forever. Judas is out of the family of God. And I, I, I betray Jesus because I hurry. I betray Jesus because I'm too busy. I betray Jesus because I look at my phone. Do you know the average person touches their phone 2,700 times a day? And I'm like, I don't have time for my Bible. If you spent a half hour reading your Bible every single night, you would have read through the entire Bible in a year. Isn't that wild? I've got time for Jesus, but I betray him with the way that I spend my time. I do. I do that. I also read that the average male will spend 10,000 hours playing video games until they're tw by the time they're 21. I didn't find that statistic about women. Congratulations. So my question like this, like you could read the whole Bible or you could pass level four on Call of Duty, like your choice, right? 
But even when I choose everything else over Jesus, he'll still wait for me. Jesus is not going into eternity without you. He's not starting God's family without you. It says just after that in John chapter 14, I will not abandon you. Paraphrase, I'll wait for you. God is not in a hurry to get eternity started without you. Later on in the New Testament, there's a guy named Peter and he's gonna write, you know, there are a lot of complicated things in the Bible. And sometimes we wonder, when's Jesus gonna fulfill all of his promises in our life? But know this, he's being patient and he's waiting for all of his children to come to him. He's just not in a hurry. How beautiful is that? There's a paraphrase of our Bible reading from tonight and it's, it's written by Eugene Peterson. Maybe you've heard of this before. He, he paraphrased the whole Bible into a translation called The Message. And I'm gonna read this real slow. And I'd love for you to just soak it in. Not to hurry, not to have any sort of expectation of who you're gonna be after you do this. Just simply in this moment, just be with Jesus. Just pause. Can you let the weight of the world go? Here's the reality. There are some things that are due tomorrow that you simply can't get done and it doesn't make you any less important in God's eyes. It doesn't make you any less lovable. It doesn't make you any less worthy to be in God's family. There are some things that you're not gonna get done, but God's already done the work to make you his child. There are some things that are not your duty. Can you let go of them? and hear the words of Jesus. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me. You will live freely and lightly. Does anybody here need a release from the weight that they've been carrying? Does anybody need a release? Does anybody need freedom? Does anyone need to feel like they're alive again? Pause. Go to Jesus. Let's visit that night when Jesus said, I won't leave you, I'll wait for you. It was on the night when Jesus was betrayed that he took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples to eat. He said, take and eat, this is my body, and it's given for you. When you eat this, do it in the remembrance of me. Again, after supper, he took the cup, he gave thanks, he poured out for all of them to drink. He said, this cup is the new covenant, it's my blood. It's shed for you and for the forgiveness of all sins. And when you drink this, do it in remembrance of me. Jesus taught us a prayer and it goes like this. It'll be on the screen behind me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us.
and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. As you come to the table of God tonight, first hear this, all are welcome. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary. He did not say, come to me religiously perfect. He did not say, come to me academically successful. He did not say, come to me, those of you who have it figured out. He said, come to me all. Come to the table. When you come forward, we'll hand you a piece of bread. You can receive that and you can eat it. It's the body of Christ who's waiting for you. We'll hand you a small cup of grape juice. You can drink that and hear this. It is the blood of Christ shed for you for the forgiveness of all sin. If hurrying is the opposite of love, then hurrying most definitely does fall under the category of sin, but praise God that we have a God who redeems our time. Let God redeem this time for you. Kairos, my prayer for you, whether you're here in Ames, in Iowa City, or watching online, let this be a moment where you are free, light, and alive. Let this be a moment of pause. Don't let it slip by. Soak it in. Receive Jesus, the God who waits patiently for all of us. Amen. Come and eat.